The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast powered by Jiffy Lube. He's JC Abbott and I'm John Hodge. Justin Dunk is off this week. Today, we're discussing the Hamilton Tiger Cats adding one-handed linebacker Shaquem Griffin to their negotiation list. Future Hall of Fame offensive lineman Brendan Labatt's future with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The Edmonton Elks selling a boatload of season tickets. Derek Jones complaining about Calgary's refusal to release him. And where a couple of top Canadian prospects are going to be selected in the 2022 NFL draft. But first, JC, the Edmonton Elks have signed American receiver Martavis Bryant. The former fourth round pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers was on the Toronto Argonauts roster in 2021, but didn't report and was subsequently suspended. What's your take on Martavis Bryant signing with Edmonton? Well, I don't think it would be past uh, Chris Jones to bribe a couple of border guards to get him through. This sounds exactly <laughs> like the type of move he would do. Martavis Bryant's a, a big name receiver. Obviously, that doesn't always translate to the CFL, but if he can show up and, and perform just a little bit, it's a big get for Edmonton. I would love to be a fly on the wall while Chris Jones was talking about, well, y'all got to let my guy through, play some football in Edmonton. I would love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. The thing with Martavis Bryant is this whole situation just never made sense. He, he signed with Toronto last offseason, and then he subsequently signed with the Massachusetts Pirates of the National Arena League, a league that I did not know exists until that signing was announced. I don't believe he ever played there, but the CFL also has very strict rules about when you're under contract with the CFL, you're not allowed to sign elsewhere. That situation never seemed to be challenged or rectified in any way until he was cut in December. Now, it's also worth noting that Ryan Dinwiddie was asked in August, once the CFL season got underway, hey, would Martavis Bryant make your team right now? And basically he said, no, like we really like our guys. And in fairness to Dinwiddie, I think the proof was in the pudding. The Argonauts had a very good receiving core last year. Ricky Collins Jr. had a career year. I think there was a breakout year for Curly Gittins Jr., the Canadian. They've got Eric Rogers. They've got Tavares Daniels. They really didn't need him. I am curious to see what he could do at Edmonton because he is a big name. But I also think that receiving core is a little bit crowded right now. They, of course, signed Kenny Lawler to the biggest non-quarterback deal in the recent history of the league. And then they also brought Manny Arsenault and Adarius Bowman out of retirement, along with a bunch of Canadians they've got there. So I can't wait for this theater to take place. Who knows, JC? Maybe he'll be playing cornerback alongside Deron Carter. Absolutely. I think with any Chris Jones team, there's a certain threshold of weirdness that happens in the <laughs> locker room and on the roster. This might just take the cake. Um, now, in a story that you broke this week, Hodge, the Hamilton Tiger Cats have added Shaquem Griffin to their exclusive negotiation list. Do you think we'll see the former NFL linebacker in the CFL anytime soon? I don't. And that's because after I broke the news late Tuesday evening, 
I had some correspondence with Mr. Griffin who informed me that Canada is not necessarily in his plans. He was appreciative of the fact that the Ticats had thought to add him to their neg list. Uh, it should also be noted that Griffin claimed that my story was fake news. We then had a conversation in which I explained what a neg list is. It's very commonplace for American players to be added to a CFL neg list without even being aware that they've been added. Being added to a neg list is not the same thing as signing. It just means essentially that a CFL team is called dibs on your rights if you ever choose to play in the CFL. So Griffin told me that the CFL is not necessarily in his plans. He thinks it's too far from his family. He's got some other business opportunities on the go, but I still think it's neat because in the event he chose to sign JC, this is an athletic freak who at six foot about 230 pounds is a little bit undersized to play linebacker in the NFL. But I always thought this guy would be an amazing fit north of the border because he is big enough to play that position. And we know that he can run sideline to sideline. He's an amazing athlete. I would love to see him in Canada. I'm just not sure we're going to get that opportunity. Yeah, I think he's a much better CFL fit than he was an NFL fit. He's a guy who was a sort of an undersized pass rusher, that typical tweener uh, that excels in the CFL game. He could come up here. He could play off the edge. You could drop him back in coverage if you wanted to do all sorts of things with him. He would have uh, an outstanding career if he ever decided to come up here, in my opinion, but uh, obviously not in the cards right now. Well, and, and I don't want to get hyperbolic here, but when I think of his size, his athleticism, and his versatility, right? The, the ability, you mentioned it, is to rush the passer, to play a traditional linebacker role, to get out in, in space and cover passes. I can't think of that many players in the CFL who can do that. The only one who really comes to mind off the top of my head is Adam Big Hill, a guy who has shown that he can get after it as an interior pass rusher, rushing off the edge, and can even drop back and, and honestly play safety. Uh, I'm not saying Griffin is big hill, but what I'm saying is Griffin's versatility. I think if you translated that to the Canadian game, that's maybe a mold or a fit that he could potentially uh, fulfill within a defense that that very few players can do because he is kind of that Swiss army knife. Uh, but unfortunately, I, I, I don't think that we will see him under contract with the Ticats anytime soon, which is a which is a shame because he's a big name down south and uh, I think it would be a great story. But who knows? Maybe he'll change his mind. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders are giving future Hall of Fame offensive lineman Brennan Labatt time to go through his process regarding his future. The 35-year-old is under contract, but elected not to play a pandemic-shortened season in 2021, citing concerns regarding restrictions and a desire to spend more time with his family. Do you think we'll see Labatt back with the Riders in 2022? I really don't, Hodge. I feel like if he was coming back, we'd have more buzz at this point, more of a sense of it. Um, I think in his comments, Jeremy O'Day touched on the fact that this is a guy who's 35, who hasn't played in two years. So even on the Raggers side, they have to make a decision if it's worth the gamble to bring him back uh, at the price tag. I'm sure a player of his caliber will demand simply based on the fact you don't know how he's going to play come training camp. Yeah, and I, I think we might still see a fit here. I, I know that, you know, Derek Taylor, for instance, said he's under he's he's been operating under the assumption that Brendan Labatt's retired. And that might be true that Brendan Labatt does not suit up again. But to me, if I'm the riders, I I want I get he hasn't played in two years, 
but I want the future Hall of Fame offensive lineman to play because a rusty Brennan Labatt, a 35-year-old Brennan Labatt, is still an above-average player in my mind. And the Riders, we also know, were not active in free agency on the whole, but they also did not address that offensive line position, which was arguably their biggest area of need. Again, that's not to say they didn't make any additions. The most notable one was Darnell Sankey, middle linebacker coming over from the Calgary Stampeders. But that offensive line was a trouble spot for them in 2021. And the only re- like notable change they've really made is Brett Boyko, the local product who started a number of games at tackle, is not back. So if I'm the Riders, I think there's a potential fit. Plus, You've got the added element of the 2022 Great Cup being played in Regina. They announced their slogan and big introduction to that earlier this week. And we know that Labatt was part of the hometown team in 2013 who won it at Old Mosaic Stadium. Part of me wonders still, is that fire burning hot enough for Labatt to want to win another Great Cup in that building in 2022, in the new building, I should say? I mean, it's, it would certainly be intriguing for a player of, of his caliber to come out uh, and win one at home. Um, but ultimately, when it comes to the offensive line, I think consistency uh, matters as well. Uh, when you've got young players like Logan Furland and Matlin Riley, those are guys you want to get opportunities to in the near future, and you want them to gel as a unit. So I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to, to let sleeping dogs lie with Labatt and, and move with the group you have. Well, you you make a good point about Matlin Riley. He was a first-round pick in 2020, missed essentially the whole 2021 season uh, due to, I think it was a non-COVID illness. I could be wrong on that. Uh, it was mono. <laughs> it was mono. Okay, so he didn't play. Um, so maybe he he counts then essentially as as a free agent addition. I understand, of course, he wasn't just signed. He's been in a contract for a while, but maybe he counts as their addition along the offensive line because, of course, he was absent in 2021, just like Labatt. We got to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking about season ticket sales in the City of Champions. Hodge, the Edmonton Elks reportedly sold more season tickets on Monday, February 21st than any day in the history of the franchise. Wow. Though the club chose not to disclose the actual number publicly. It was the final day of a long weekend season ticket drive during which seats were sold for just $99. Is this an encouraging sign for Elks fans? I I think it is to an extent, and I think we need to talk about the fact that, that selling tickets in Edmonton is a bit of a different ball game than many places in the CFL. Commonwealth Stadium is big enough that it's it's virtually in the modern age. It's almost impossible to sell out, right? For for a CFL audience to reach that whatever even is almost sixty thousand number, you know, that we used to see commonly in the eighties when when sports was a completely different business and industry than it is today. I'm not sure if that's realistic. So If I'm the Edmonton Elks, I'm happy to sell tickets at a lower rate than I would be elsewhere in this country where you do have a realistic opportunity to sell out buildings on a somewhat regular basis because your inventory is just so unbelievably huge, right? You've got even a good crowd of 40,000 people. You've still got 20,000 empty seats sitting there. You may as well fill them up, even if the pricing is discounted. To me, the concern is if you're a 25-year season ticket holder and you're paying well over $99 for your seat, are you feeling alienated as an Elks fan? Because it's like, wait, I'm the loyal customer. I don't get 
I don't, but I don't get the deal. The deal's only for new people who haven't supported you for the last 25 years. So to me, that's the concern. But hey, this, this team also desperately needed an infusion of intrigue, of interest, of, of fan community and spirit after 2021 kind of broke them as the season went on there in Edmonton. So I give this a big thumbs up, though obviously, you know, you can't do something like this every single year. This has to be step one. And, and you need to build from there. And I'm sure Victor Cuey, the new CEO there, has a plan. Yeah. And, and to be frank, Hodge, if, if you're that veteran season ticket holder that feels alienated because a new fan got a $99 deal, give your head a shake. Because th- <laughs> this is a franchise and this is a league that desperately, desperately needs an infusion of new fans, of, of different demographics to, to revitalize it. And so if, if you're worried because you paid a little bit extra for your season seats, well, that's just the price of, of being a fan and caring about this league because we need new people in these buildings and that's going to come with, with some deals uh, to, to attract them in. Well, and, and we know that the CFL needs to become less reliant on its gate revenue. That 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 much became very obvious as the COVID pandemic raged on and most buildings were unable to have fans in 2020. And then many were, were subject to a limited number of fans in 2021. And as much as I'm sure teams are loath to give up some of that sweet, sweet gate revenue in the form of ticket sales, if you can lower prices enough to make it affordable for families, for individuals to come to games when they otherwise maybe wouldn't, all of a sudden you have a ton of monetizable opportunities outside of just the gate, right? If you're a season ticket holder, all of a sudden, as the season goes on, you're not content wearing a green t-shirt. You're going to want an Edmonton Elks t-shirt. And once you've got your Edmonton Elks t-shirt, you're going to want an Edmonton Elks jersey. And once you buy the jersey and you spill beer on it for the first time, you're going to need to go and get a second one, right? So whether it's concessions, whether it's merch, or even other exciting potential in-stadium opportunities with betting, for instance, I'm sure there's going to be, or at least I certainly hope there's going to be exclusive in-stadium opportunities for fans to place bets on this app, that app, get this bonus for downloading this thing. And if the CFL and its teams are able to get a cut of that sweet, sweet gambling money all of a sudden, you don't need to charge people through the nose to get in the building. Charge them something small because once they're in, you're going to be able to get lots of other transactions from those patrons who have decided to buy a ticket to your game. Absolutely. There's so many other opportunities. Just get people in the door. Yeah. And then again, it might be a little bit different in places where seating is very limited, but in Edmonton, where you know selling out that building is, is borderline impossible, you may as well just maximize the number of butts you can get in seats because uh, you, you, you know the building's never going to sell out on its own. It's not 1984 anymore. There's too many things on Netflix to get people out in that kind of number to a live sporting event. NFL Network draft analyst Daniel Jeremiah believes Canadian linebacker Jesse Lucchetta will be a third-round pick in the NFL draft. Meanwhile, Canadian receiver John Metchie III continues to rehab the ACL tear he suffered on December 4th in the SEC championship game and expects to be ready to go for training camp. Which Canadian player, JC, do you think will be selected higher in the 2022 NFL draft? Well, I think Jeremiah is a little bit high on Lakiga compared to the rest of the NFL. I, I don't think he goes on day two in the third round. I think he'll slip below that. Uh, so John Mechie, the third to me is the easy answer 
for who will be the first Canadian off the board. I think he probably goes in that second round range. It's not impossible that he slips into the first round if someone absolutely falls in love with him. The the market for receivers can be a little bit volatile. It's sort of a, a choose your favorite type of situation, but I think he's likely a second round lock, whereas Lukiga probably goes at the top of day three. Yeah, and I think one thing that works to Mechie's advantage is how Alabama has suddenly become a receiver factory, which you never would have thought was you know, a sentence anybody could say if you go back 10, 15 years ago. Um, Alabama's long since been a powerhouse, but not necessarily known for its passing game, but they're churning out quarterbacks, they're churning out receivers and winning a bunch of national titles along the way. Um, Mechie, obviously the ACL is still a concern, I'm sure for some teams, but it's never been, uh, you know, less of a concern, you know, ACLs 40 years ago meant the end of your career 20 years ago, you know, it was, it was hit and miss these days, players bounce back from ACL tears all the time. You know, it's still a concern, but it's it's something that that r- routinely in 2022 we've seen players bounce back from all the time, including Mechie, who thinks he's going to be back in just six months. That's a remarkable recovery time if he does in fact pull it off and is is ready to go by June, like he says he will be. Um, I think he'll probably be a little bit later than that, but he's going to have in all likelihood a full rookie season and will show out. He's a talented, talented player. Uh, now on the Lakia front. To me, he is one of the more interesting evaluations uh, of Canadians that we've had in recent years because he's an incredibly gifted player who excels in a very specific area of the game. He's a fantastic run defender on the edge. He's he's versatile. He can do a lot of different things in, in that regard. He's not a very good pass rusher, though. So from a value standpoint, when NFL teams are are looking at him, you've got this guy who's probably more talented uh, than a lot of guys you'll draft higher than him, but he does it in an area of the game that's a lot less important, a lot lot less valuable, a lot less coveted. So where does he end up falling in the mix? Uh, That'll be a very interesting question come draft day. Absolutely. I, I'm I'm very intrigued to see how this goes. And uh, I wish them both the best because 2021, we saw a ton of Canadians get picked and go on to have very good rookie seasons. Uh, and I'm hoping that that trend continues in 2022. Absolutely. Speaking of the NFL, Derek Jones, a former NFL draft pick and defensive back who signed with the Calgary Stampeders in January, called out his team on Twitter this week after they refused to release him for the USFL draft, tweeting, and I quote, it's sad how y'all treat athletes. I humbly make it clear that I wanted to weigh my options way before the USFL draft. I think it's very unprofessional for y'all to ignore me until after the USFL draft, end quote. Now, Jones was selected by the New Orleans Breakers in the ninth round, but won't be able to play in the F-Start League while he remains under contract with the Stamps. What are your thoughts on the situation, Hodge? Well, first off, I want to say, from from a team perspective, I question the uh, importance of keeping a player who doesn't want to be on your team. Um, I'm not sure that's the best route to go that said i mean players are not reporting for training camp for for three months still so so it's entirely possible that cooler heads will prevail by the time mr jones is ready to come up to training camp but on the flip side like when you sign a contract that matters right this is a legally binding document and there was no reason 
for Mr. Jones to sign this contract offer with the Calgary Stampeders if he still had aspirations outward. That's part of the risk you take by signing or not signing a contract, right? It's possible that Jones, let's say he he opted not to sign with the Calgary Stampeders. Maybe he doesn't end up getting get, getting picked by the USFL and now he's out of both jobs, right? Maybe he signs with Calgary, the USL never come USFL never comes knocking. Maybe he doesn't sign with Calgary, but he ends up getting the USFL, which is great. I mean, it it sucks that he's not where he wants to be right now the most which is the usfl presumably because it is a shorter path to the nfl as we discussed on last week's show with with mr dunk but my point is signing a contract matters and if you're going to sign a contract at the end of january and then demand to be released three weeks later to me that just means you or your agent didn't do their full diligence to get the situation sorted and and handled away. Yeah, I, I really try to be sympathetic to players in, in situations like this because of the power dynamics at play. I, I don't want to be a bootlicker for the man. But in this <laughs> uh, in this case here, Hodge, I really, really struggle to have a whole lot of sympathy for Jones and just the sense that you knew what you were getting into when you signed the contract. This was not a situation that was unexpected. You knew the USFL was coming along. You knew that signing that contract when you did with Calgary would prevent you from going to the USFL. Um, There was no deception here. There was nothing that changed dramatically. Um, This is simply a case of a guy who didn't know his contract, didn't bother to read it, and and, uh, didn't know what he was getting himself into. And and I'm not going to reward ignorance with with my support in, in that regard. Now, I've seen some people speculate maybe it's a family family situation. Something's changed on that front. Um, absolutely could be possible. But based on what Jones himself put out, which were private messages that uh, he had with, with team management and coaches, uh, there's no indication that that's the case at all. This is simply a guy who, uh, in his own words, was trying to be businesslike and thought the USFL was a better option. Um but you can't do that once you've signed a contract that's binding for every area of society, not just players. This is not something that's exclusive to sports. Um, you've signed contracts. I've signed contracts. You read those things. You put pen to paper. You're bound by them. G. Roy Simon told the Outsiders podcast, quote, everybody else on the outside saw me as an up and coming GM in, in BC, but BC didn't see it that way. End quote. Is that fair? for the legendary receiver who is now the assistant GM with the Edmonton Elks? I think it's fair to an extent, and, and there's some nuance to this. Now, was he not seen as a GM ever? I don't think that was a case. I think he was given a, a fair shake. Um, but for all the wonderful, incredible Hall of Fame things that Simon did as a, as a receiver, he hasn't been in the front office very long. He's still learning the ropes. And so when it came time to to pick a general manager, I, I don't think it was unreasonable to expect the uh, the BC Lions to to go with Rick Campbell and, and Neil McAvoy as a as a tandem deal. Campbell, obviously, we know uh, as the head coach, his level of experience. But Neil McAvoy has been in that organization, Hodge, for 26 years, working his way up from a sales assistant way back in the day. He's done every level of thing. He's he's put his nose to the grindstone to to rise through the ranks. I don't think it was unreasonable for the Lions to give that guy an opportunity before Simon, who did all the wonderful things for the organization as a player, but had 
just started to get his feet feet wet in the in the football ops department. Yeah, and and I would almost compare this situation to uh, a situation almost like Sean Burke. You know, he had a very Neil McAvoy like tenure with the Ticats, working his way up from a community role. And then eventually getting to football ops and then ascending to and oh my goodness, I forget that ridiculous title that they gave him and Drew Alamang for 2020, 2021 co, uh, oh my 15 different words. They were essentially co-general managers is the reality. And for him to get his own GM job, he had to leave, right? He went to the Ottawa Red Blacks where he is now the GM and signed 25 veteran CFL players at free agency. So sometimes you just have to leave. And that's what Mr. Simon has done. Heading to the Edmonton Elks, he is now the assistant general manager there under Chris Jones. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's an opportunity at some point for him to return to BC as the GM. If not, whether it's at Edmonton or whether it's with one of the CFL's seven other franchises, you know, there I think there will be a GM opportunity for Mr. Simon somewhere. I, I just appreciate it. it's hard to be patient because as you said, these jobs do not come up often. And uh, you know, especially in the case of Simon, there was someone more tenured in that organization. And he, by the way, McAvoy doesn't even have the title. He is a co-GM alongside Rick Campbell, who's also the head coach. So BC doesn't even have a GM in the traditional sense. And this is a weird framework that more teams seem to be going with, right? We don't have an official GM in Hamilton still. We have a president of football operations and head coach, Orlando Steinauer, and then a bunch of assistants, right? The same thing is true in BC. We've got co-GMs. It's it's a weird setup, right? It's a weird front office uh, structure to have. But, you know, it, I, I also appreciate it. It's, it's hard to be patient sometimes because, you know, uh, Simon is obviously a legendary player and he's done a lot of good work on the personnel side as well. Yeah, if you're a guy like him who's been at the top of his game, you want to be at the top of your game no matter what you're doing. And so for him, that's being a GM. It's it's not uh, completely uh, Looney Tunes for him to want that job as quickly as he wants it. But from the Lions' perspective, probably was a little bit too soon for their liking. We got to take a quick break, JC. When we come back, we'll be talking about Hodges' heritage moment. On this day in 2020, Javon Johnson signed a one-day contract with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to officially retire as a member of the team. The 11-year veteran recorded 543 tackles, 34 interceptions, and nine forced fumbles with Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, Ottawa, and Montreal. The five-time East Division All-Star remains the only defensive back in CFL history to win the league's most outstanding defensive player award. JC, I know this is going back, not before your time, but when you were a little kid. For me, I remember it like it was yesterday. There was a period of about two or three years where Jovan Johnson was must-watch entertainment in the CFL as a DB, as a return specialist. He was simply electrifying. Yeah, most of my uh, my memories of Jovan Johnson are at the end of his career when he was still doing it uh, as an older player. Um, but there was that period of time very early or in the, in the middle of his, t- his career where he was versatile. He could do it on special teams. He could do it on defense. Uh, one of the most dynamic defensive players in CFL history without question. When I was really pleased when he did sign that one day contract with Winnipeg to retire, because I don't think they're, they left on the best of terms in 2013, that awful season 
that uh, that saw the you know Joe Mack get fired, that saw you know all kinds of changes in the organization. They went three and fifteen that year. My goodness. Um, so I'm I'm happy that the him and the organization seem to at least be on good terms because he was unbelievable for some of that time in Winnipeg that he had. On that note, it's time to go to the three minute drill powered by Jiffy Lube. The CFLPA filed written notice to begin bargaining a new CBA with the league. Is that a good sign? Absolutely. Anytime the two sides are talking, that's a fantastic sign. Now, I wish it would have started a little bit sooner, a little bit earlier, as we <laughs> always do. So it's not coming down to crunch time, but it's a fantastic sign that these two sides are talking. Now, Hodge, the 2020 and 2021 Canadian Football Hall of Fame classes will be enshrined in a ceremony on June 17th following a two-year delay due to the pandemic. Who are you most looking forward to being enshrined? There's lots of worthy people who are being enshrined, but the number one person I'm excited about, Henry Bruce, one of the best ever to do it. BC Lions owner Amar Dolman told Don and Dolly on Check TV that he has big plans for the club's home opener, saying, quote, we want to rock the CFL a little bit that night. End quote. Are you looking forward to that? I cannot wait to be in BC Place on that opening day for Will Ferrell to serenade us a cappella <laughs> in front of the sold-out crowd. Now, I'm very excited for whatever they have in store. I'll, I'll be there that night, and uh, I hope it's a, it's a big name that will bring some people into the building. Now, Hodge, a Winnipeg high school student made an amazing Bombers-inspired metal shop project that he's trading with Adam Biggill in exchange for a jersey and game tickets. How cool is that? I think it's very cool. This story blew up on our site and many other media outlets. One thing I will say, shout out Wade Miller for not slapping the kid with uh, uh, all kinds of um, you know copyright infringement because that thing was covered in bomber logos and slogans and he let it slide. Credit to him. Canadian NFL receiver Chase Claypool was at a Vancouver Canucks game in his home province of BC and said, quote, the Calgary Flames suck so bad, end quote. Is that too harsh? Uh, for the Calgary Flames, nothing is too harsh. Is it inaccurate <laughs> this season? Probably. They're much better than the Canucks. But hey, when you win 7-1 and you've had a few beers in you, anything goes. Now, Hodge, the hit TV miniseries Pam and Tommy depicted Pamela Anderson being discovered at a BC Lions game in 1989. How cool is that? Did you know that happened? I did know that happened, and uh, I've yet to attend a BC Lions game as a fan, but when I do, I'm looking forward to being discovered as well, just like Pamela Anderson was. Last one, former CFL receiver Jeff Fairholm told the Rod Peterson Show that Halifax is the wrong city for CFL expansion. They should instead be focused on Moncton, New Brunswick. Is that a good idea? No, it's a terrible idea. I think Moncton's a... (laughs) Moncton's a great town, but it's tiny. It's a tiny, tiny town. Halifax is a much bigger market. I think if you can get a toehold there, uh, it's a much better thing for the league. We thank you, as always, for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. He's JC Abbott. I'm John Hodge. We'll see you next week for another episode.